This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Techie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. All right, football hour time. Mackie, Judd, Matthew Collar joins us now, as he always does, at 5 o'clock. And Matthew, to get into the nuts and bolts of the Patriots-Vikings matchup on Sunday... Xavier Rhodes and Stefan Diggs both listed as questionable on the injury report. If the Vikings can only have one of the two in Foxborough on Sunday, which one are you taking? Uh, first of all, I'd like to say, remember that uh, quack doctor in San Diego who said that Xavier Rhodes would be having season-ending surgery and maybe never walk again? Well, he's questionable for the game, so uh, maybe don't follow that guy on Twitter. No, it just says questionable. We don't know what questionable means. It could be that his leg is questionable, may need amputation. Questionable to live. It's hard to say. Uh, which one would they miss the most? Uh, it's hard to really pick one here because if you don't have Xavier Rhodes, then you're talking about Holton Hill starting that game against Tom Brady and a Patriots offense that's healthy now and has a lot of weapons. I mean, Josh Gordon, like, thank you, Browns, right, for just giving them uh, the Patriots this really great wide receiver who you could just throw it up to and he could go up and get it with the best receivers in the NFL when he's on. And then, you know, they've got a number of other weapons there too. So, you know, you really want Xavier Rhodes. I don't know who he'd be trying to shut down. I mean, would it be maybe Chris Hogan or Josh Gordon? But either way, like it's a big deal to have him against the team that has weapons all over the place. And then if you're talking about Stephon Diggs, the last time he didn't play, Adam Thielen gained 22 yards and four catches on seven targets. Like That's not going to work against the Patriots. You're going to have to score points against them, especially going to Foxborough. So I guess because of that, I might lean slightly toward the Stephon Diggs angle there because I think the offense really operates because of those two. And when one of them is not healthy, if it's always been Diggs, but if he's not healthy, it's just a different ball game for Adam Thielen. He can't really do what he does best without Diggs. Uh, I think they could probably paint over one guy being out on the defense, but Diggs being out would be a huge problem. Okay, let's say let's say Diggs plays, and let's say he's 75, 80%, enough to not just be a decoy standing out there with, you know, uh, with bum limbs. Bill Belichick seems pretty consistent with trying to take away, he's not going to let Julio Jones just go bonkers for 200 yards, right? He's going to make the second or third wide receiver do something, or... Uh, what if if the Vikings have their full allotment of weapons? Who do you think Bill Belichick focuses on the most, and which second or third or fourth options do you think are more likely to take advantage for the Vikings? I, I think that Belichick would focus most on Thielen, just because Diggs wouldn't be a hundred percent. But if you look at the way other teams have handled Stephon Diggs versus Adam Thielen. I mean, it's hard to find a matchup that Thielen's had against the top cornerback in the league. Like, this is why they decided in 2016 uh, and really into 2017 was where this went full-time to have Thielen be in the slot. 
to get him off the line of scrimmage, to get him mismatches, to utilize his smarts and his ability to read defenses and have Diggs beat those number one corners instead of Thielen. I mean, this is why it works so well, because Thielen is fantastic and he's going up against linebackers sometimes, slot corners a lot of the times who are not those highly paid shutdown corners. Those are usually those guys on the outside. So I I think that... Uh, if Diggs is closer to 100% or looks good, it'll be Stephon Gilmore on Stephon Diggs. And Gilmore is one of the elite corners in the NFL. Pro Football Focus this year has him in the top five. So he's a, a tremendous corner and a great signing for them. They picked him up as a free agent before last year, I believe. And From what uh, team? Yeah, the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, it's just the feeder see, system. See, there are, no, there are no Bills fans listening right now, but I spent years fighting Bills fans on Stephon Gilmore. And then for Bill Belichick to spend $70 million on, I was like, okay, I win. Like, it's over. This fight is over. If the greatest coach ever and personnel guy decides that Stephon Gilmore is great, then he's great. And then this year, he's elevated his game even more in his second year in the Patriots system, and he's just been tremendous. So whichever guy he's going to be on, that's like the same as having a Patrick Peterson or having a Xavier Rhodes lock someone down. And that's why you need Stefan Diggs so badly in the lineup, because then that allows Adam Thielen to still do his thing in the slot. High pressure game on the road against a very good team coming off an impressive win. What should the expectations be for Kirk Cousins in this game? Because to me, this is the next step game. Last game, right? No picks, no fumbles. Impressive. But this is the next step. And I'm not saying that, that I believe that he single-handedly has to go out and win this game, but he can show me a lot on Sunday in an environment where it is incredibly difficult to win games. Yeah, and I think that he's really done a good job in in those games where he has had to go on the road in in tough situations. Against the Rams, we focused a lot on that fumble, but aside from the the fumble at the end of the game, he was really, really good in that Rams game. And then the same goes for the Philadelphia Eagles game. On the road, it doesn't feel as big now because they haven't turned out to be a great team, but at that time, there was a lot of pressure. It was like, if you lose that game, your season might be over. And he ends up coming up pretty big, the defense too, but he had a good game there on the road. And he's got an opportunity to do it this here against the Patriots. They're a good defense. They're not an unbelievable defense. I mean, really, this Patriots team is as beatable as they have ever been with Tom Brady right now. They have a lot of weapons, and they have a lot of good players, and they have some talent on defense too, but this is not a juggernaut like they've been in the past, and we've seen them lose some games. I mean, they lost to Tennessee just two weeks ago, and even that Jets game, like they end up winning it, but it wasn't a pretty win for them, and they've sort of been stumbling a little bit. So this is one where I look at it as if Kirk can go there and not turn the ball over and do a lot of the things that they did last week, get the ball to Kyle Rudolph, who said he was frustrated by his lack of target, well, he got seven, seven catches, first down, some big plays. That, that's right. Go to Kyle Rudolph. He'll catch it. And Delvin Cook, swing passes, things like that. If they stick with some of the simple changes that they made going into last week, I think that they can win this game. So, Kyler uh, and, and Judd, your good, good news for the Vikings, if you're scoreboard watching here, at least it could be good news. The, uh, the Chicago Bears are at the Giants' noon kickoff on Sunday. And it was just announced this afternoon that Chase Daniel will start again. And it might even be that Chase Daniel starts the week after against the Rams. So the Vikings are one loss and a tie behind Chicago. Could Chase Daniel shipwreck the Bears against the Giants? Could they lose regardless of who starts at quarterback against the Rams and then open up a door? The Vikings have to win one of these next two games to have a chance at the division, I think. But 
It might be that an injury to Mitch Trubisky could open the door for the Vikings. Are you saying that the Vikings could chase down the Bears with Daniels at quarterback? I saw you loading that up for like 10 seconds, dude. Wow. Wow. I was, I was like this shaking with anticipation. Over. Let's get to Sage Rosenfels. Uh, <laughs> well, the answer is, of course, yeah, they can. Uh, but I also think that Chase Daniel, now this, is, this, this might qualify as a hot take, Mitch Trubisky was bad this year. He was legit bad. Like, not good. The numbers, the fantasy numbers were decent, but when you watched back those games, and even the game against the Vikings that he tried in every way possible to give away with two horrific interceptions, he can run, and that's a different part of it that Chase Daniel doesn't bring. But what I saw on Thanksgiving was Chase Daniel being a classic game manager guy, and that might be all they need to win a game against the New York Giants. So that's a really tough one for me to see them losing because they just have so much talent there that if Chase Daniel even just gets the ball to guys like uh, Tariq Cohen and Taylor Gabriel and they, they can make plays, uh, then they're still going to win because their defense is so good and the other team still has a very aged Eli Manning. Uh, against the Rams, I would expect Los Angeles to win that game, but uh, the Vikings, these next two games are really going to define where they end up. I mean, if they can beat the Patriots and the Seahawks, you are talking about going from season on the brink in Chicago to talking about Super Bowl, like talking about this team as the best team in the Us NFC. Get excited about something? Yeah. Never. Yeah, I know. But they, they really have that opportunity over the next two weeks to be in that conversation. If you go to Foxborough and then go to Seattle, two of the toughest places to win in the entire NFL, you come away with wins with the defense playing the way it is. Once again, number one in the NFL on third downs. They've moved up and up and up in terms of the yards and points against uh, football outsiders. They have a great statistic that kind of takes into context your opponents, and they have the Vikings in the top five defenses. If you've got the defense healthy and rolling and Kirk Cousins has kind of gotten over that hump and they've figured out some of the things on offense, we're talking about this finally becoming the team we expected them to be. But the big swing there is if you don't win either of these next two games, you're talking about letting the door open for somebody else to make the playoffs. So these two are just huge. And I guess that's the position that the Vikings put themselves in with the slow start was all of a sudden every game becomes really big for them. What did the Saints loss to Dallas last night tell you, aside from the fact that officiating in this league can be absolute garbage and crap? And Walt Anderson, what are you still doing in this league? I don't get it. But do you see that as just a blip and and the Saints laying a quick egg here? Or was is there something exploitable from what Dallas did to them? Well, I would say that there is something exploitable to any great offensive team when a defense plays like that. I mean, the amount of pressure that was on Drew Brees, there is no quarterback that has a 100 quarterback rating when they're pressured. None of them. So no matter who you pressure, if you get after them, every quarterback is going to be worse. And the interception at the end of the game by Breeze was a seeing ghosts type interception. It was, I've gotten whooped all game long by a really good Dallas defense. Dallas defense was sort of subtly great all season long, but since they weren't winning as many games and they lost some close ones uh, that nobody really paid attention. But now that win shows you just how good they are. And there is a huge gap, and I would imagine anyone who plays for this long would have this happen. But with Drew Brees at the Superdome and Drew Brees anywhere else, 
there is a very big gap in his statistics, his win-loss record, all of that sort of thing. And that's where you know the, the stretch here for the Vikings, if they got hot and somehow found their way into a, a home game, they're the same way. I think the, the Vikings are a different team at home. Uh, but overall, no, the, the Saints are still great. Every team that's ever set records or whatever else has always had that one bad game here or there. That's why the uh, Mercury Morrises of the world still clink the glasses when uh, <laughs> nobody goes undefeated because that's how it works, right? Like Even the, the 85 Bears had that one game where they went into Miami on national TV and got whacked. And that's one of the best teams of all time. So I look at it as tough environment, really good defense, and clearly just some things were off last night with New Orleans, but that really doesn't tell us a whole lot. And the officiating in that game was an abomination. I mean, just the guy's down and then crawls to the first down and they mark it, he gets the first down. If you see the thing about like the challenges, the unlimited or the the limit on challenge, it's one of my least favorite things that they do because, like, wait a minute. So you you made three bogus calls and he gets penalized or four bogus calls. It is ridiculous. And the coach gets hurt for that, not the referees. I mean, that, that was tough. And then Dak Prescott gets smacked in the face a couple times in the face mask, no penalties. So, I, you know, and when it comes to this lowering the head and all that sort of thing, it's all gone. It's all gone. Like you can do whatever you want to the quarterback now, just yeah, like you used Clay, to. Clay Matthews, they've they've shown like Clay Matthews and the penalties he racked up in the first three weeks, and then some of the hits he's had in the last month are like way more egregious. Oh yeah, and he just gets he kind of looks around for a flag and oh, oh yeah, okay, they, we're good. They've just totally bailed on that. And <laughs> and the guy launching himself at the brain of Elvin Kamara, I mean that's supposed to be a penalty, I think, but mm, I guess it isn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where they're at with any of that stuff. And I, I think basically there was so much pressure early in the season that they just bailed on it, which is sort of classic NFL. But when you watch that stuff, you're like, we've gone from what's a catch to like what's what's like super dangerous for Elvin Kamara. It doesn't matter anymore. We're like back to Jack Tatum era here. It's okay. Before the season, you, you literally couldn't touch anybody, and now we're back to do whatever you want. Yeah. What can people find on uh, Purple Podcast and 1500ESPN.com right now? Well, um, we've got uh, the matchup between Adam Thielen and Stephon Gilmore, potentially, if uh, Stephon Diggs can't play. And some good stuff analyzing the play of young Brian O'Neill at right tackle on the Purple Podcast. Football-y football. And speaking of Purple Podcast, Sage Rosenfels, you can find twice a week on the Purple Podcast. And he will join us next Football Hour, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios. Indeed, Sage is next, but first time to talk to Mr. Money Talk, our friend Josh Arnold, where you always... Dot com. Mackie and Judd now continue. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 35E, we've got a crash uh, near Lilydale. It's between Victoria Street and St. Clair Avenue. That's causing a 12-minute delay southbound. Uh, 35W, we've got a crash near St. Anthony. That's uh, between Ramsey County Road C and County Road D. Uh, Nine-minute delay there northbound. So uh, be careful out there, people. Thank you, Manny. It is the football hour. Matthew Collard just joined us. You can find uh, that on demand, 1500ESPN.com. Sage Rosenfels, uh, did you know that the Cowboys beat the Saints last night? I did, and I think I saw some sort of stat where it was the highest Thursday night-rated game of all time. Uh, so I think the 
the conversation about the NFL is dying is uh, is not yeah. quite correct. And uh, somebody was really excited about it on, was it NFL Network after the game? And it's a future so bright, I have to wear my shades or it will blind me. All of these young guys are under 24, and they are rolling. Who that said they're going to beat them Saints? We that. We the Cowboys. We said it, and we did it. <laughs> Your passion towards the Vikings should be exactly that. Yeah, just get on, the, just on. start bellowing out things. Unbelievable! I, I did not see that last night. I did watch uh, a lot of that football game. I tell you what, the Dallas Cowboys defense is legitimate. I mean, they were uh, very impressive against the Saints offense that has made almost everybody look pretty bad this year. Uh, you know, for the most part. So that was that was that was basically a make or break game for you know Jason Garrett too. You, you got to think about where he's at. He's been there for a long time. <clears throat> Doesn't seem like he'd never get fired there, but you know, they've missed the playoffs a lot, and you know they're right on the, the brink now of having a chance to make the playoffs in that in that NFC East. And so that was a huge game for them, and, and for the Saints, you know they might be they're sort of dropping back down into Vikings territory, mm. Vikings and Bears territory, and the Rams sort of have that uh, <clears throat> excuse me have that current lead in, in the uh, in the NFC. So Sage, <laughs> explain this to me in in the in the officiating sense. A week and a half ago. In a primetime Monday night game, the Rams play the Chiefs, and, and we get what is a playoff-type all-star officiating crew, which I appreciate. It might not have worked out perfectly, but I appreciate what the league was trying to do. So how for a Thursday night game that's a pretty doggone key game between the Cowboys and Saints, do we get Walt Anderson and his crew? And to say that they were bad last night I think is absolutely being kind. They were brutal. How do we get the league going from all-star crew for Rams, Chiefs in prime time, but Cowboys, Saints, let's just put old Walt on the game and see where the chips may fall. Well, I don't know where all the, you know, I never know where the officials are ranked. Are is Walt and his crew ranked, ranked fairly low? As far as I know, I, they should I think be. they're ranked. I, I think they're not. I think they're ranked a little bit higher up there. I, listen, the NFL knows when people are watching. They know who, who people want to watch. My, my guess is that they do their best to try to put uh, you know the best officials on the most important games, the games that, that are going to be seen by the most amount of eyes. Because nobody likes to watch games where there's missed calls. Nobody likes to watch games where there's phantom calls. Like it seemed like there a couple last night. Uh, there were some crucial uh, you know misses of, of helmet to helmet contact last night, which seemed pretty easily. Uh, they did not do a very good job. But my guess is the NFL tries to get the best officials for the most important games. It's, it's best for their product. In your playing day, what, what referee and his crew did you see and thought to yourself, oh, this is not going to be good? You know, I try not to, to pay attention to it. I think, you know, sometimes those groups have good games and sometimes they have bad games. you got to realize there's like, I think there's seven, there's six or seven officials that are out there. And so, you know, five of them might be great. And then one or two might, you know, make three or four bad calls in the game. And that's just how the whole thing sort of works. And so I never really, I always, before you go out uh, uh, in the locker room, before the game, I always would check the main official's name. Because uh, if I ever need to talk to him, I want to know him uh, you know, by his first name. And so that's about all I really paid attention to. I tried not to you know, worry if we had Ed Hockley this game, if he was good or bad. Uh, I think they're all, they all do their best. They're all pretty good. Uh, for me, it was the guys that were talkative to me. You know, you know, the guys that could have a little conversation or, or whatever. You know, Cleet Blakeman lives here in Omaha. He's uh, fairly well-known ref. He, he did a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. He was great to talk to. You know, a very friendly guy. You have easy conversation. You know, during some of those timeouts and things. It's also just such a thankless job, especially if you're not the lead head referee. You know, they, even in that case, it's thankless for the most part because people just rip on you. But if you're a back judge or a side judge or something, 
You know, I mean, you're, and your, your job is to stand there on the side and just get chewed out by a coach. It's also, Sage, the only sport where you can pretty much do or say whatever you want as a head coach. You can scream a guy's head off, and there's no technical fouls. Like, very rarely will a coach get a 15-yard penalty for berating an official. In baseball, you blink at a guy. You blink at Joe West the wrong way, and you're thrown out of the game. You're suspended. Well, yeah, so this is true. So this is one thing I, I was talking to Cleet Blakeman about. Uh, I, I saw him about six months ago, and we are talking about how, you know, somehow in his career, I think it's been about eight or nine years, somehow you have managed to work your way through the cracks and not fall into some game where some you know catastrophic, terrible call happens, and everyone looks at the main referee as if he made that call, and usually it's somebody else, you know, mispass interference or something like that. But he had sort of, you know, he had... He hadn't been in any of those, you know, controversial type games, and so I think there's some luck involved. At the end of the day, you know, they're all rated individually, uh, and you know, so so everyone I think tries to you know, do the best job they can. And obviously, there were some some miscalls last night. Yeah, Sage Rosenfels, our guest here. You can also find him on Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar throughout the week at 1500ESPN.com or anywhere you'd subscribe to podcasts. So uh, what? That was a nice win for the Vikings, and they pretty much put the Packers' season on the brink of uh, of expiration. So, what what did you see in that game, and and where are you on the Vikings here heading into this? Is a, an amazing stretch of quarterbacks they're facing, two of the greatest of all time, and then wherever Russell Wilson falls uh, once they're done with the Patriots. Well, to me, that was basically a must-win game. Uh, I think for both teams, you know what. It's, Two things I really brought away from that game. First, let's talk about the Packers. There is something different about Aaron Rodgers from the first snap of that ball game. People were talking about the end of the game. He didn't seem right, and he seemed like he was, you know, been discouraged. He seemed like he had no energy and no fire early in that ball game. I'm talking first series. He just sort of seemed like, uh, you know, he's got a lot on his mind or something like that. You know, now obviously they lost. They're, they're basically out of the. Uh, picture in, 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 of making the playoffs, and so you know there might be some big changes. Uh, obviously, I don't think he's going anywhere. I just think he's been really frustrated for years, and I'm not going to speak for Mike McCarthy as much, but I definitely know Aaron. You could sort of tell, in sort of like a, a, a you know a sub underneath sort of matter that you could tell that he knows he doesn't have the talent of these other teams that he has to compete against week in and week out. I mean, can you man Aaron Rodgers on the Bears this year or on the Vikings this year? Those teams have. You know, more weapons all over the place, better defense. I mean, who scares you really on that Packers defense, right? Nobody. Nobody like, now. He's used to scary, but nobody really goes like, oh, that's a key guy we got to stop this week. There's nobody on that Packers defense uh, that really scares you. So, you know, every team has usually star players around around a star player. He does not. He does not. I mean, Devontae Adams is a good wide receiver, maybe top 12 in the league, but he's not Julio Jones. You know, he's not really a game-breaker, and, and that's what he's got to work with. And so I, I think he's really frustrated. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of changes in Packer country this year. Now, as far as the Vikings, yeah, that was a must-win. And, and what's, what's interesting about this team and about this, uh, in particular, this offense, is I feel like they're, they're, they're playing similar to how they played two years ago when they couldn't really pass protect. Sam Bradford threw for an NFL record for completion percentage. Uh, they, they couldn't. Uh, you know, seven-step drops and deep drops. They could do those things, so they started resorting to some other things. And I think John D. Filippo finally started figuring that stuff out this last game. You know, a, a, a running back screen that goes for a touchdown. Kyle Rudolph gets involved. 
get the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hands and, and don't have him stand, you know, stand there back in the pocket, hold on to the football in these deep traps that, you know, because that's when, you know, bad things generally happen, whether it's an interception, you get some pressure, maybe a sack or a sack fumble. Bad things happen when, when Kirk Cousins is holding the ball deep in that pocket. So, Sage, what, what do you think that Bel- Belichick on Sunday is going to offensively be w- willing to give the Vikings? Because you got to f- figure that if Diggs plays, he's going to take him away. Same for Thielen. What's your best guess as to if, where Bill's going to say, okay, if this is go- going to beat me, it's going to beat me. Is, is it going to be Cook in the short passing game? What's your well, thought? Well, it is interesting, you know, the, the, every time we start talking about, you know, what, is, what will Bill Belichick do to another team, and they usually always say, what, they, he's going to take away the other team's best player or what they do best and force them to do what they do second or third best. And so if you go off of that rule, yeah, you got to think they're going to do a lot of doubling uh, of, uh, of the two wide receivers, Steelen and, and Diggs. And I mean, so what, even if they're on the same side of the field, they might have safeties on the same side of the field, which is going to leave Kyle Rudolph, uh, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, whoever that the other players are, the other wide receivers, Robinson, uh, you know, on the other side, really one-on-one. You know, maybe you can just man up one-on-one, no safety help at all. I really imagine that being the game plan. You know, tell the front seven, hey, we got to stop the run. They don't run the ball well anyway. We got to stop the run with those seven guys. And then we're going to double their best players in the passing game. We're going to even play like two man, so it's really hard to get those guys the ball and make somebody else beat us. Yeah. Sage Rosenfels, uh, hey, a little bit of a deviation here because we're about to fire up this live stream in a couple minutes. I think it's on YouTube somewhere. If somebody would have asked you a decade ago, what will Jared Allen be doing in the year 2018 going into 2019? And uh, the answer have been he's making a push to be on the U.S. Olympic curling team, and he will be facing Team Schuster on a live stream on YouTube with Mark Bulger. Where would that have ranked on your list? Well, that sounds about right, actually. That's not that's like the least surprising news of my day, I think. That sounds about right. Either that or he's, uh, you know, he's in a rodeo somewhere trying to ride, you know, a thousand pound bulls or two thousand pound bulls. I don't know what those things weigh or whatever. But yeah, nothing really surprising with Jared Allen. I did see that uh, earlier today. Uh, I've always thought that'd be a fun thing to do. I haven't had a chance when I've been up in the Twin Cities to. Uh, you know, to hit one of those curling uh, uh, spots, but I've always thought that'd be a really fun thing to do. More of a drinking game, I think, seems like to me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, before we start talking about how good they are, I sort of I need to see it. Well, like I actually need to see because I know I, I, wa- I do watch it enough in the Olympics. I enjoy watching it. I do know there's some serious skill and talent uh, in, in doing that. It's completely different. It's not like you have to be a great athlete, but there's definitely a, a fine skill there. And I would think that takes years and years and years and years and years to master. Well, nothing would make me more happy during the next Olympics to see a flowing mullet with a little bit of a light breeze in the curling arena and Jared Allen, the close-up on NBC with curling announcers, looking to clinch one of those games against Canada. And just maybe maybe as well, Jonathan I, set out the other really calf want, rope celebration would be a great add. I think what I would really want would be if he would sort of grease up his hair for the competition and then right before he goes, he actually puts his hands into his hair, gets the oils just right, <laughs> and then does his push-up. I think that would oh, be magic. Yes, yes. That's a really interesting scenario you just went through there, Sage. <laughs> Almost like you've put some thought into it. <laughs> just grease the hair up exactly well, right. Kinda, I think... I think if Jared Allen would be like an Olympic curler, I would think I'd want everything about that to be 
sort of like Kingpin, the bowling movie. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah, think that's what I want. I want yes. some sort of like 70s button up <laughs> shirt, that's sort of a cowboy shirt or something like that. I think I'm looking for like a totally. Chest hair too there, Sage? A little oh, uh, sure. un- unbuttoned uh, cowboy shirt, some chest hair poking through for Jared? Little glistening <laughs> chest hair. You know, the more the merrier, I think. <laughs> Oh my God! All right, Sage. Also, you can read Sage on the Athletic too, and uh, and find that on a weekly basis. So, Sage, good catching up. We'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on again. All right, Sage Rosenfels <laughs> okay. from uh, the Purple Podcast. That got almost creepy. Almost creepy. Almost creepy. It's Jared. Yeah, it's not entirely creepy. Deliciously creepy. Oh, well God. over the line of creepy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Manny. Jonathan, are you guys going to monitor in there? You've got you've got your laptop pulled up. Have I'm, they started the live stream yet? I'm trying to, but this live stream keeps buffering like every two seconds, and it's behind a sheet of or it's behind a sheet of glass, and people keep standing in front of the camera, so it's kind of impossible. But call up there, tell them. So they just like put someone. <laughs> call Do they just put someone's phone up? I against- legitimately think that's what it is because you can see every once in a while the reflection in the glasses, like the camera refocuses. That it's totally <laughs> someone's phone's just sitting on a mount. And this is versus Team Schuster. Yeah, and it just keeps. Yeah, it, it's not. Call there, complain. Oh, there's a down in front. <laughs> <laughs> What's Jared wearing? Uh, it looks like just a basic sweatshirt. And some assless chaps. <laughs> yes. So every, which is unfortunate because every time he's pushing oh. off, you can just see it right. Oh in front of the no! Go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there on fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on fifteen hundred ESPN. You know, one of the big things that we talked about, and we've talked about it quite a bit, is third downs in the red zone. You know, there's a lot of situations where it might be third and four on the seven, right? And so if you, if you get the four, then you got a chance to get a touchdown. And conversely, defensively, you may have to play um, two areas there. You know, you're playing third and four, but you're also playing a goal line. So that part of it, we need to be better at third downs in the red zone, quite honestly. All right, I'm, I'm doing a little... NFC North crunching here for you guys. I just want to run a couple things by you here. Okay. So the Bears are eight and three. The Vikings are six, four, and one, which makes it hard to just like off the top of your head to think of. But put it this way: the Vikings have to finish ahead of the Bears in the standings. And there's not, and there's really unless the Bears tie, there's really no way that they're gonna. You know, they're either gonna finish ahead or below the Bears. So it's like the tiebreakers are kind of irrelevant because there probably won't be a tie to break in the NFC North, Correct. right? So. The Bears are eight and three right now. If the Bears get to, let me see here. If the Bears get to eleven wins, the Vikings. I don't think the Vikings can catch them, right? If the Vikings run the table, they finish eleven four and one. I guess eleven four and one beats eleven and five. It does, right? It does. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the the Vikings need the Bears, unless the Vikings run the table, which I guess I just predicted and write that down. <laughs> Yes, you did. The Vikings have let's say one. Let's say the Vikings have one loss in them, and they get to ten, five, and one. They'd have to finish ahead of the Bears, so they need the Bears to go ten and six, which means the Bears would have to go two and three the rest of the way. So let's let's just say it's going to be really tough to win both of these next two games, but you can win the last three, including the Bears game, to get to ten, five, and one, which is still tough, but it's doable for the Vikings. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. To win the division, they would still need the Bears to go two and three in their final five games. But I present to you 
a backup quarterback against the Giants on the road this weekend. Chase Daniel is starting for the Bears. A home game against the Rams on December 9th. Now, that's a that's a West Coast Los Angeles team of finesse offense going into the Midwest in December. Windy City against that defense. Cold. Bears are probably favored in that game, or at least it's a it's a push. That's a tough game for the Rams. But the Vikings in Week 17 at U.S. Bank Stadium. I feel like, at least this is just me talking here, a couple weeks ago when the Vikings lost that game to the Bears, I wrote off the division. But based on the Bears having a backup quarterback and a couple really tough games, they also have to play a desperate Packers team maybe uh, Week 15 if the Packers roll off a winner. I'm just saying... <laughs> If the Vikings, I know you laugh at this stuff. But I, yeah, no, I do. If the Vikings, if the Vikings can go yep. four and one the rest of the way, and the three games at the end they should win, Lions and Dolphins, and beat the Bears at home, and split these next two, mm-hmm. it's not that unrealistic to still win the division here. We're not talking about the 1985 Bears. So the Bears here, okay? have to go what? The Bears what to happen if the Vikings go. If the Vikings win four of the next five, yep. the Bears would have to go two and three over that stretch to finish ten and six. Thus, behind the Vikings at ten five and one. So the Giants and so the, the three losses would be would potentially yeah. be Vikings, Rams, and either Giants or Packers. I don't think they're losing to San Francisco. And the Packers game is in Chicago, right? And it that, is in Chicago. That's against yep. the downtrodden Packer team that I think is quitting. So, the, so Sunday's game at the Giants is the imperative game for them to lose. Then they've got to lose that game. If you lose that game, I could see I could see there being an outside chance because I think the Packers are done. Like people say, well, the Packers schedule is not that. I think the Packers, the team I saw on Sunday's checked out. They're just done. It's over. They're not going. They no longer care. So I don't know if I would go that far. I don't think they care. Aaron Rodgers isn't just a lay down kind of a guy. I, I mean, I know there's these conspiracy theories that he's I don't, trying to get Mike McCarthy fired. Right, but he's but, proven that point. If he drags this team back to the playoffs, Mike McCarthy still gets fired. But his I, teammate, his teammates, when, when I watch that Packers team on Sunday, there's no help there. This defense is not very good, and that offense can't do it. I mean, he's alone. He's basically by himself. He still makes great throws, and he's by himself. I think the Packers overall are done, but I still don't entirely trust the Bears to take care of business against them at home. Just because anytime the Bears should take care of business against the Packers, and they've had some opportunities themselves, Mm -hmm. they don't do it for whatever reason. It's just like it's just like the Vikings going into Soldier Field and winning a game. For whatever reason, it just it's always it's always tough. And the argument isn't whether the Packers are going to make the playoffs or not. The argument no. is in three weeks from now, how how relevant will the Packers feel or how desperate will they feel or Aaron Rodgers when they play the Bears? And the Packers have a juicy home game against Arizona this weekend. Another game against a fading, dying Falcons team in two weeks at Lambeau Field. That's an Atlanta team on December 9th going to Lambeau Field. What happened to the Falcons, by the way? So, like, the Packers could roll off a couple wins, a couple wins at home at Lambeau in December, feeling good about themselves at 6-6-1 going into that Bears game. All I'm saying is, let's not crown the Bears in the NFC North yet. You want to crown them? Crown them. They are who we thought they, they were. <laughs> I think. I think to your scenario, the the linchpin game is the Giants game. You go in. And that's this weekend. Yes. If you lose, if you lose that game, it opens up the door. But that's again. I'm, I'm sorry, Jonathan. What do you got for us? I was just saying, I have a score update for you. Oh, if you want it? Oh, you can see it now. The well, curling. I just went onto something called curlingzone.com, and they're they're doing. I've got less. that bookmarked. Yeah. <laughs> right? Really? No. Oh, I was gonna say what? <laughs> Wait, wait. Let, let's go to the Jonathan Harrison curling sports desk here. 
Wow. What do we got? Look at this. In the second set, Team Schuster leads 1-0. That's not good for Jared Allen's future. Nah. It's not surprising, though. There's eight sets. Why would you have time to make it up? Why in your first six months of curling would you go against the best team in the world? They requested to go against them. It's just how the draw landed. Man, I suppose. That's your first match in this tournament. You know what this is? This is 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team against Russia. We need against all odds. Judd, I told you the other day, I believe in them. We need need Jared Allen to come out of nowhere. And win just like the U.S. hockey team. Did. It needs to happen. We'll wrap with Roycey. Maybe we'll get Roycey's thoughts. I guess. Uh, uh, you can go in the front door, you know. Bring it back, huh? I said you you can go in, in the front door. Like the not front today. of the building. It says not you today, can. I don't. Uh, oh, well, that's not what I saw yesterday. Maybe I'll, I'll try the legacy gate. Maybe I can. That's open, that too. The media gate oh. is closed. I, I went through the entire thing, yeah. Okay, You'll be yesterday fine. they said you had to go in the administration building down there, uh, which is down there at the station. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think we. I think we could have saved about four hundred million. So, but that's okay. Arden Hills, it should which, have been yeah. outdoors, but, right? But you know which four hundred million that would have been saved from, right? <laughs> yeah, not the public. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. I just. Uh, I'm afraid I might get hit in the head with a goose. I'm afraid to ride over there. Once I might, be, might fall down and, you know, and they crap a lot, too. Wouldn't that be something if you, as a, a goose was crapping all the way down and then landed on your head and then died? That would be terrible. Deep, would be terrible. deep thoughts with Patrick Rosie. <laughs> so I got a, so I got, I got a question. Yeah. If the Wild lose one more and the Wolves win one more, are we going to be saying, why don't the Wild operate more like the Wolves? Huh? Why aren't they more organized? Trade like Dubnik. Trade Dubnik. That's what we'll be saying. Is, well, Doobie, what is it? He's one year he's great, the next year he's not so great. Isn't that the way it works? One year. How about one month? One month he's great, the next month he, he's not so great. That's the problem. You know what they call that? Goaltending. There was Martin Brodeur and about two other guys, and the rest of them are just like him. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, and you know why? Because if you play that position, you're goofy anyway. So that's true. Don't get me started on goaltending. Yeah, I was going to say easiest, between, the, between the two hockey experts here, I'll let you guys go. I get to put seventy-three oh. pounds of pads on and stand in front of a small net and save ninety-three percent of the shots. Yeah, real difficult. So if you fellas seen the Kareem Hunt uh, video. Uh, we did see it on Sports Center up here. Wow! Yeah. Uh, well, the uh, Chiefs uh, Super Bowl slump is about to continue. I'm afraid. The uh, it seems uh, these things can be covered up until they appear on video and ask Ray Rice. Then they can't, right? TMZ too, Pat. The TMZ always gets that stuff. They really do. Yeah. And you know the thing about TMZ? They're always right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Everybody talks about it. It's it's not like the National Enquirer. TMZ. Uh, if it's said, if they say it on TMZ, it's happening. So. But the difference between Kareem Hunt and Ray Rice has nothing to do with the incidents. Ray Rice was a little older, three yards a carry. It was very easy yeah, to say to Ray Rice, true. oh, you, you're just not going to play in the league anymore. Kareem Hunt is 23. You're right. He's one of the mm-hmm. best players in the NFL, and I guarantee he finds himself either back with the Chiefs or somebody else after a suspension. Uh, he probably could have gotten away with it uh, without the kick. The, the, uh, the league, I suppose, hadn't said anything yet. Right? This thing's been floating around since February. It's just we hadn't seen the video, right? right. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly right. Uh, well, that's that's horrible again. God almighty, what's wrong with these people? Yeah. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Anyway, yeah. what uh, the uh, our fighting twinks, uh, 
uh, arbitration seven o'clock deadline tonight. I don't know. We don't we don't know yet who they offered. I suppose everybody but Grossman, huh? What did you think of last year when they fought tooth and nail for three hundred thousand uh, dollars? The Kyle Gibson deal. Yeah, I think I think a lot of didn't you tell me that a lot of people thought they were just practicing. No, I, did, I hadn't heard that, that, but that's they, interesting. Somebody thought that they just wanted this uh, Adler to, uh, to, to hone his skills on it. What like, about giving Gibby a three-year deal? You think, uh, you think they're going to do that? I don't know. These guys just doesn't seem like they, uh, they're not like Terry in the fact that they want to lock somebody up. I think they just kind of want to wait and pay a guy when they have to. That, that's the way it seems anyway. Yeah, I don't... Uh... I don't. I, Gibson's a tricky one because even in his best season, you know he's a number three starter. He's a good, solid number well, three well, starter. Yeah, yeah. It depends on what number he wants. If he wants thirty for three, I'd give it to him probably. But uh, I mean, that's pitching number. Although they're 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 figuring out a way to uh, adjust the market to uh, pitchers by only having three starters instead of right. five. So right. But then so you get these guys, these guys who these seventh and eighth inning guys. I mean, Addison Reed made eight or nine million, and you yeah, know he was never yeah, going to be a closer. That was brutal. Hey, how about uh, how about those dastardly Yankees are going to get Edwin Diaz to go with that bullpen? Now this is not fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's since not we're just fair to have that bullpen. Since we're kicking around the old ball here, where did this Robinson Cano to the Mets thing come out of? Oh, did that? Uh, yes, because today it was. Uh, wasn't it to the uh, Yankees? No, it's the Cano Mets, I thought. The Mets, yeah. It, it's the I Mets. I thought it was Cano and Diaz to the Yankees, but, uh, you know, that that they had the best offer out there. But anyway, now to the Mets. Are they going to take him? Is it? Yeah, it happen? sounds like it's going to happen. It sounds like it's very close. Are they getting Diaz, too, then, or not? That was one of the iterations. That was a rumor I saw. Yes. Supposedly the teams that are taking Cano, the interest in taking Cano are only do it if they get Diaz, too. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway. It feels like a weird time to trade him after a steroid suspension and, you know, but well, I guess yeah, they just want well, him out of there. You know what? He's, he's Manny Machado, man. He's, uh, I mean, he's obviously had a better career. He's probably a Hall of Famer, but, uh, well, not, not, not anymore, but uh, the fact that, uh, but he's always that guy that would jog the first base when he... You know, make sure, once in a while he just make sure he was out. You know, and he's uh, kind of a uh, interesting cat. And he always, you know, he always plays like he's a neutral, but he's. But then you look at the numbers, and it's unbelievable. So. Who who do you got on Sunday, Vikings Patriots? Vikings. Oh, that's Patriots, a ki- kiss uh, of death. Patriots, Patriots. No, I'm not saying for sure, but they, they got a shot. I think they'll win one of the next two. I don't know which one. We agree, but the the Patriots are not that good. They're, they're, you know. Now, is is Rhodes going to play or not? Questionable, as is Diggs, I believe. They're both yeah, questionable. Well, well, Rhodes would be the problem, I would think. You uh, you know, the Edelman would be very happy if Rhodes wasn't playing, I would think. So he didn't have him yeah. chasing it's, him around and stuff like that. So Hey, it's not but, often we get breaking news in the last minute of our uh, wrap with Ricey, but breaking twins news for you guys. Okay, let's go. From Dan Hayes from the Athletic, they will not. It's it's the end of the Robbie Grossman era. The Twins will okay. non-tender my guy Robbie Grossman. You and Wetmore on base so machine, Robbie Grossman. How could you do this? Well, uh, if Mowler ever manages again, you know Robbie will be on the club, man. <laughs> Mowler, uh, Mowler will love that guy. I don't know why. But. 
Robbie would be gr- grinding out of the bats, man. I think when uh, C.J. Crone uh, showed up here, that was the end for Roger, Rob, Robbie, right? That was a good run Just for Robbie Grossman. See, I I don't mind Robbie leaving because it, it puts Willie Astadio one step, <laughs> one injury closer to being on the team. All we need is one injury, and he can be on the opening day. The right? fan club is formed, right? Patrick Royce, right. president of the Astadio fan club. Uh, we told him we would send him to Venezuela and said, whatever you do, don't get in shape. <laughs> <laughs> Stay fat, young man. Stay fat. That's, that's what makes you jolly, baby. <laughs> All right, well, go find the entrance before I'll see you, you freeze. All right, I'll see, see you there. Bye. Bye. All right, bye, Pat. <laughs> I love the fact he's wandering around U.S. Bank Stadium. Oh, but, so you got a dude following. You want a dude following Miguel Sano around in the Dominican Republic making sure he doesn't gain weight. You know but for Astadio, you want someone following around to make sure he doesn't lose weight. To, to Patrick's point... Miguel, not jolly. True. Astadio, jolly. That's Someone, the difference. I think it was the twins on Thanksgiving that posted, reposted Astadio rounding third base and said, you know, with a meme like, when mom calls yes, everyone I to the Thanksgiving it. dinner yes. table. <laughs> that's jolly. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. All right. That's a, that's a wrap for us. We will be back on Monday. Well, you guys will be back on Monday. I'll be back on Tuesday. All right. Uh, plenty of recapping to be done with Vikings and Patriots. And also, don't forget Vikings Ventline right after the game is over on Sunday. See you guys.